Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the podcast that says, why does business news need to be all business? I'm Sasha Kelly, and today we're talking about Australia's favourite obsession, Property. But a lot of the talk in property has been about prices going up. Still living crisis and a possible economic recession doesn't seem to have scared off home buyers. Good news for homeowners this morning. House prices across Australia's capital cities recovering quicker than expected. In a changing economic climate, amidst all of this conversation of interest rate rises and cost of living pressures, one thing just seems to be always the same, and that is the price of property ticks ever upwards. But why? Only a few months ago, reports said that prices were falling amidst rising interest rates. But now I'm reading a lot of headlines with phrases like prices surging and record highs. It's Monday, the 19th of June, and today I'm asking, is there ever going to be a path to affordability in the Australian property market? And what's the best way there? To talk about this today, I'm joined by my colleague and the co-founder of Equity Mates. It's Alec Renahan. Alec, welcome to The Dive. Hey, Sasha. Good to be here. Housing is always a hot topic. I just feel like people fall into two camps, which is either like you and I, we don't have a house, or people who are like feverishly paying away at their mortgages. And every time there's an interest rate rise, they're like groaning and hanging on for that first Tuesday. So we have seen a few headlines about affordability challenges. What has happened recently? Yeah. So 2022, we actually did see house prices fall. And in the end, the numbers weren't huge. According to Domain, the property website, the value of Australia's housing market fell by about 5% in the capital cities in 2022. Sydney was the biggest faller. It dropped about 11% in 2022. And we know why. Interest rates rose and all of a sudden people could borrow less. 2023, interest rates have kept rising So you would think the story would continue. Yeah, we had 12 rises in a row. So you'd assume with past performance, I mean, you shouldn't assume with past performance, but yeah, I thought the prices would keep going downwards. Yeah. I mean, the logic is uh, the more that you have to pay in interest, the less you can borrow. But that's not what's playing out in Australia. Instead, we've just seen three consecutive months of house price rises. Uh, Over the past three months, nationally, Australia's housing market is up 2.3%. I said that in 2022, Sydney was the biggest faller, uh, down 11%. In the last three months, it's up 4.5%. And Sasha, if we look at just the last month uh, for data, just May, we saw 1.2% price rises nationally. That was the strongest month of house price growth since November 2021. And November 2021 was peak COVID bubble mania, cheap money and uh, all of that. In May, every capital city was up 
Sydney was up the most, 1.8%. Brisbane, 1.4%. Perth, 1.3%. Perth has actually returned to its record highs. Every other city and region is not quite there yet. Um, but Perth, if you're over there, you, if you own a house, you're laughing. If you're trying to get on the property ladder, not so much. What about the regions, Alec? Because everyone always says, oh, it's so much more affordable if you go out of the capital cities. Yeah, the COVID phenomena was the regions grew incredibly strongly. A combination of people wanting to get out of the city, being able to work from home, um, regions just saw incredible growth. They're not growing as fast as the cities at the moment. In the last three months, nationally, the cities grew at 2.8% and the regions at 0.8%. And when we ask why, because interest rates are going up and so you would assume people can borrow less and therefore spend less on their housing, a lot of people are pointing to housing supply and CoreLogic's numbers show that supply is tight. In the past 12 months, sales volume nationally is down 22%, but importantly, new listings, so new houses being listed to be sold is down 24% from the same time last year and down 16% compared to the five-year average for this time of year. So Alec, supply is down, which does go some way to answer why a house price is still rising, even though interest rates are also rising. And in response to the house price rises and the supply crisis, the Australian government has proposed the Housing Australia Future Fund, but they need the Greens support and they're struggling to get it. Yeah, now that's right. We should say the question of whether this is a supply problem is a controversial question and we will get to that. So if you're sitting there tearing your hair out, put a pin in that. Let's talk about what the government are proposing and why we're talking about this today because housing supply is in the news. The Australian government, as you said, have proposed the Housing Australia Future Fund as a way to solve the housing affordability crisis. My question is to the Minister for Housing and Homelessness. What has been the public feedback on the Albanese government's landmark $10 billion Housing Australia Future Fund. So, how is it going to work? The government have proposed putting aside $10 billion into this fund. And no, that doesn't mean they would then spend that $10 billion on housing. That would be too simple, Sasha. Oh, okay. Instead, <laughs> what they're going to do is invest the $10 billion and any returns that they make on the $10 billion would be used to fund social and affordable housing projects. Indeed, our plan to establish a $10 billion Housing Australia Future Fund, we have legislation in the parliament to actually establish it. The single biggest investment in social and affordable housing by a federal government in more than a decade. Now, importantly, the original proposal had this spending capped at $500 million. So you invest $10 billion, you make a 5% return, you get $500 million, that money goes to housing. If you make more than $500 million, the excess gets reinvested in the fund. If you make less than $500 million, that's where the trouble begins. But we'll get to that. Now, when the government first proposed this project, they said it would build 30,000 new social and affordable houses in the first five years. To get it through Australia's upper house, the Senate, Labor needed the Greens to support it. The Greens don't like this idea of the $500 million price cap 
And instead, they believe there should be a price floor. Regardless of your investment returns on any given year, the government should guarantee a certain amount of money to build houses. So instead of capping at $500 million, they will guarantee that they will spend $500 million, for example. Yeah. Now, the Greens actually want that price floor to be $5 billion a year. Oh, okay. A uh, <laughs> <laughs> little bit of a different zero in a different spot there, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, they argue that instead of investing in houses, this proposal is essentially just gambling on the stock market. And as we always say, Sasha, investing in the stock market is not the same as gambling, but that is beside the point. Yeah, go listen to Get Started Investing if you want to take up that <laughs> argument. <laughs> we'll, send a, we'll send the first episode to Adam Band. Yep. But but the Greens rightly point out that in the way that the government first proposed it, there would be years where no no money gets invested in housing. Last year, Australia's future fund, which is separate to the housing future fund, returned minus 1.2%. It was a tough year for stock markets around the world. If the housing future fund did that, returned minus 1.2%, then $0 would be invested in housing. The Greens also point out that over the next decade, the government's going to spend or give $74 billion in negative gearing and capital gains tax concessions. And they're also going to pass these stage three tax cuts, which are valued at, I think, 300 and something billion. So a $10 billion fund for housing supply pales in comparison to those numbers. But that is a political choice and we're not going to delve into that. Yeah, we're a business podcast, Alec. We are not a political podcast, although I really <laughs> want to say a few things, but let's keep focused. <laughs> yeah. So as I said, the Greens want to say a minimum of $5 billion a year guaranteed for investing in housing supply, not invested in the stock market. Uh, as part of their negotiations, they've halved that demand to $2.5 billion. Uh, and the government, the Labor government, have counted with rather than capping the spending at $500 million, they've now counted with a guarantee of $500 million a year, so a price floor. So where we're at is uh, the government are willing to spend $500 million a year uh, on social and affordable housing. The Greens want $2.5 billion a year, but it seems all of our political debate is stuck on housing supply and how much money we're going to use to build more houses. And we're not really talking about any other aspects of housing, maybe the tax treatment of housing or maybe the demand side of the uh, supply demand equation when it comes to housing. And while those discussions don't happen, Alec, the price of houses just keeps ticking upwards in the interim and becoming more unaffordable. And there's a bigger question. There are those that actually challenge that idea that we pinned earlier and that more housing supply is what we need. So let's get into that after the break. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code Program. Welcome back. Today on The Dive, we're unpacking housing affordability. I mean, we are unpacking it. Will we solve it? We don't know, but we're going to get a little bit closer to it by the end of the episode. The Australian government are really focused on the supply side of the housing market as the key to this solution. Build more houses and houses will become more affordable, which makes sense as an economic idea, but not according to our resident economist here at Equity Mates, Thomas Keeley. Here he is on his podcast, Comedian vs. Economist. Thomas, the AFR has launched Housing Supply Week. Uh, oh. <laughs> Tell you what, there are some weeks that I get up for throughout the year. This is my, one of my favourite ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah, what's going on with the AFR and Housing Supply Week? Yeah, I think this is just another shameless push for corporate interests out of the uh-huh. AFR. Yeah, it's a bit weak. Yeah, they're, they're going to run a whole bunch of stories about why we need more supply. Yeah, I kind of wanted to just talk about why supply doesn't work. Like okay. we can't we can't build out build our way out of the housing crisis. Hmm. Uh, but like we, you keep seeing this as being pushed as the solution. So la- late last year, the Albanese government appointed Mervac CEO Susan Lloyd Hurwitz to lead the National Housing Supply and Affordability Council. Mm. Yeah, Lloyd Hurwitz was the former CEO of Mervac, one of the build, biggest building and builders in the country. So can you guess what her solution to the housing crisis was? Uh, apartments. Uh, yeah, build more homes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's this kind of like idea that we need to build our way out of the crisis. Even the government's panel has been mashing those two things together, saying affordability and supply. Mm. Um, yeah. So, and the AFL kicked that, kicked their, their push for this idea off this week with a piece by Tony Richards, who was a former RBA economist, uh, where he's blaming NIMBYs, so not in my backyarders and councils for not, not, uh, bringing enough supply to market. And that's why we've got a housing crisis. Mm. Yeah. So there's a couple of myths that's worth looking at. Okay. The big myth is that we don't build a lot of homes. Mm. The truth in Australia is that we build a lot of homes. So you can look at how many homes we produce as a share of the housing stock each year. We produce just under 2%. Each year we had just under 2% of the housing stock. The only nations in the OECD that produce more houses than us are Korea, Iceland and Turkey. We, we We build twice as many as the EU and a little bit less than twice as many as America. Wow. Mm. So we build a lot of homes. So mm. this, this isn't the problem, like the idea we need to build more homes. Like we build a lot of homes. Like what are we going to be the number one house building nation on earth? Is that like, is, will we have a, is that the solution? Like if, and if that solution, isn't that a little bit ridiculous? Surely we're happy with a, you know, podium finish for home building, like seems, seems pretty reasonable. I think Iceland though are very keen on those little tiny homes that they build. So that's probably jacking their numbers up. They've, <laughs> they've probably got. You're thinking of igloos? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think that's. No, that, you can't say that anymore. It's not politically correct to say igloos anymore. They're tiny homes. Um, no, igloos are all right. It's Inuit people is the, is the correct oh, name. I think, yeah. I think an igloo is still an igloo, isn't it? An igloo is still. <laughs> Feel free to correct us. Well, I think. If you're tuning in from Iceland or any of the Nordic Nordic country, mm. um, yeah, we'd love to hear about your tiny home. Yeah, anyway, so the, so the idea that we don't build enough homes is like mm. it's that struggles to stack up. Yeah. The second myth to hear a lot is that we need more apartments. 
The thing about high rise and medium density is per dwelling, they're much more expensive to build than detached housing. Because yeah. we're like, we're very efficient at producing detached housing now. It's like the, the big metricons and whatever can throw up a house very cheaply. They're, they're super well rehearsed at it. There's a kit, they just bang it up and it's pretty straightforward. Medium density and high rise density is much more bespoke. Plus you're stacking massive slabs of concrete on top of each other which requires much more engineering, requires much more support and ends up being much more expensive. The only places where high-rise works is places where the land value is so expensive that what you lose in construction costs, you make up for by splitting the land value across multiple properties. Right. So that's, so that's why you get them in the city, mm. you know, like right in the, in the middle of the city because the land value is so high and the further out you go, yeah. that's why you don't see them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I never, never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. So developers only, yeah, that's what, like the reason we see them only come up in the inner cities is that's, that's developer driven. That's the market driven mm. because that's the only place where it's economical to do so. So then we don't see them out in the outer, outer suburbs because it's not economical to do it that way. The, the price you get for the apartment you build doesn't justify the cost you put into it. So it's, it's the causality, it runs backwards. It's, it's that expensive housing creates a market for apartments. Right. So apartments can't bring down the price of housing without removing mm. the incentive for apartments. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yep. so apartments so. can't, therefore apartments can't be a solution for affordability. Because mm. if they did bring down prices, they would remove the incentive for apartments and there would be no more apartments and prices would go up. Right. So they can't really be part of the solution. Yeah, okay. Right. So apartments can't fix the crisis. So, mm. um, and if we build a lot, mm. so we're the highest builder, mm. why is there still a shortage? What, what, what is the problem? Well, the problem is population growth. So CBRE is the, um, the commercial building real estate research firm, I, I don't know the acronym, CBRE, they they published a chart saying that... Entourage, I think it is. Commercial building real estate entourage. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Anyway. Anyway, that, so they, they published, uh, they put, put out a uh, new single during the week which <laughs> showed that looking at population growth from between this mm. decade, between 2021 and 2030, Australia is far and away has the fastest population growth in the OECD. So we're population right. set to grow 13.8%. That's mm. there's us and then there's daylight back to New Zealand at 10.8%, Canada at 9.4, India at 7.9, and then down right. down the list you go, UK 2.8. So we have... <laughs> they're probably made up mostly of Australians yeah. looking to get away from the housing crisis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, bugger, I'm going to New Zealand or Canada. <laughs> so 13.8% is, is massive. We're number, number one in the world for population growth. Hmm. We're going to add, they say, between 2023 and 2033, 4.43 million people to the Australian population. Hmm. To put that 4.43 million in perspective, that's equivalent to adding another Brisbane, Adelaide, Hobart and Darwin to the current Australian population. Yeah, wow. So four major cities in hmm. 10 years. Why? Why? Why, why are we going to do that? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. I mean, what problem are we trying to fix by doing that? I mean, I, I'm, all for, I, I'm very welcoming. I, I like people coming here. I like mm. diversity. I like multiculturalism. Mm. But... Is there a particular, like, it seems like we're really aggressively kind of trying to ramp up immigration yeah. now. Yeah. And the question is why? What, what problem is that trying to solve? 
It's not really trying to solve a problem. Uh, yeah. Uh. Like it's, it's trying to create, it's, it's about making money. So like AFR had a piece, like an opinion piece talking about the immigration, the mm. ramp up in immigration. They're saying business is licking its lips at the prospect of migration reform with few doubting that a bigger Australia is better. It is boosting retailer sales, increasing landlords ability to collect rent, helping miners and contractors find staff, bolstering the big four banks, customer numbers, lifting pathology providers, testing volumes and filling up mm. Macquarie's IT department. Right. Mm. I think this is the thing, like you have a big population supports particular interests. It supports uh, customer facing businesses. It supports uh, landlords who own property and that the ownership of, of, of land in particular and ownership of land and, and dwelling follows the same distribution that, that all wealth does. It's very tilted to mm. the very wealthy. So there's a big push. So, yeah, so what you have in Australia is, is a sort of a political consensus around big Australia. It's called big Australia. On the conservative right, it supports business interests. So they're pro big immigration. On the left, we like diversity. So we're pro immigration. Sort of the, where that consensus lands out is we're pro immigration and we're pro very big immigration. And so we have the biggest immigration program in the world. One of the consequences is even though we're building more homes than almost any other country on earth, we still have a housing shortage because we just have such like we're just growing the population so quickly. And it's not just about housing too, because it's like you think about adding, you know, what's what's Adelaide's got like seven hospitals, eighty high schools, three universities. We've got to add we've got to add an Adelaide and Brisbane in ten years. So that means fourteen hospitals in ten years, one hundred and sixty high schools. Six universities. That, that's Adelaide Oval. Adelaide Oval. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's sort of just not happening. So that means that a wine region <laughs> and everything that we'll have to put on. <laughs> Don't even get me started on the number of churches we're going to have to build. Oh, yeah, it's going to be through the roof. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it, it's, it stretches it stretches the mm. infrastructure, and, and people are already, already saying the infrastructure is stretched. So, yeah. So, what is the solution if it's not supply? If we can't build our way out of it, we we stop immigration. We kind of cut that down, or uh, is there another way we tackle it? I, think, I don't think you definitely don't want to stop immigration. Like, immi- yeah, okay. you want immigration's awesome. You want to keep that, but I think it is about mm. bringing it in line with. Like the BCA, the Business Council of Australia had an interesting idea the other day where they're saying that um, populate, the immigration intake should be tied to housing supply. So like you should almost demonstrate yeah, that right. there's an increase in the housing stock before you fill it with people rather than at the moment we bring in the people and then hope the housing mm. stock adjusts and it's not and yeah. we're, creating, we're creating homelessness. That's, that's, that's what we're creating with this story. So I think that's that makes sense. You don't you don't open a hotel and then <laughs> yeah and then just like over oversubscribe every room mm. and and then work out how to add more rooms. Mm. You 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 just yeah you bring in as many as you can accommodate. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And like we talk like with the latest budget, they're talking about an annual immigration intake up around two hundred and sixty thousand. That's a lot mm. higher than it has been through all of the two thousand and two thousand and tens. You could just mm. go back to where it, where it was in two thousand and. 13, 10 years ago, which is somewhere around 130, 140,000. It would probably take a lot of the heat out of the story. Just going yeah, back to you, more normal normal immigration numbers. Yeah, but you need to adjust for inflation, Thomas. You probably don't understand. It's a difficult concept, but... <laughs> We're going to leave it there, but if you'd like to hear more about what Thomas thinks on that topic, then search Comedian vs. Economist, wherever you get your podcasts. And that particular episode was called NVIDIA and AI, Beginning of a Boom, 
or a baby of a bubble from the 31st of May. So Alec, turning the mic back to you, any final thoughts before we wrap up for today? Well, I mean, Thomas is a hard act to follow, but I think that what you said there about how much we're building is the important thing to stress. Even if you throw more money at the building industry, there are just capacity questions. How many builders are there? How much can we build? How much land is available? The demand side, it's a fraught political conversation, obviously, because we want to support a big Australia, a multicultural Australia. We want to be welcoming. Um, But the amount of immigration seems to be a key driver of some of these challenges. One thing that Thomas didn't touch on there, and we've done a few interviews on uh, Equity Mates Investing Podcast about housing. We spoke to Matt Barry this week and Chris Joy earlier in the year. And one thing that no one really speaks about, and I even asked Matt and you dismissed it, was the tax treatment of housing. And with so if supply and demand remained the same and on the same trajectories, would changing the tax treatment of housing, you know, questions around negative gearing, capping the amount of houses you could negative gear, would that affect prices on the margin? Uh, that's still a question I have and maybe we'll try and find someone who can help us answer it. That's a really intriguing and a great way to finish it today because I'm going to sit on that thought for a little bit. Look, we've talked about housing supply, but one thing we can build more of, Alec, is more podcasts. We're going to be back with more episodes. Uh, We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday. Please actually get in touch and let us know what you want us to dig into. All the contact details in the show notes below. But Alec, let's leave it there for today and I'll pick it up with you on Wednesday. Sounds good. You have been listening to an Equity Mates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.